Welcome to the Harmony Christian Church Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by today's message from Pastor Josh Shoemaker. I want to do a little review with you here this morning of last week, just real fast, um, for especially for those of you who may not have been here last week. Um, last week, I shared a dream that I had had a couple years back in 2001 um, on November, the night of November 30th. Um, it was one of the um, it was one of the most incredible encounters with the Lord that I've had, uh, especially in this level. I don't have a lot of dreams, at least not a lot of dreams that are from the Lord. I, you know, I um, have pizza dreams. The dream I had last night was kind of weird. It definitely wasn't from the Lord, but this one was from God. <laughs> it wasn't bad. I don't want to, that sounded bad, didn't it? <laughs> I'm digging a hole already. All right. Um, but I shared with you a dream I had uh, a few years ago, it was just an incredible night, encounter with the Lord. And so I, I shared that dream with you, but uh, what was really neat is after the service, uh, the next day I got an email from Miss, Miss Donna Downs. Um, and if you don't know Miss Donna yet, uh, she is an English professor at Taylor University. And so um, we, we've got Donna Downs, who's an English professor, and her other friend Donna is a communications teacher, teaches speech. So imagine how nervous I feel knowing that they're in the congregation. Because <laughs> you all know how good my grammar is, right? And you know how good my communication can be. But uh, she, she had emailed me later on uh, that next day, and she had written a poem um, and it just so beautifully captures the dream that I had. So instead of telling you the dream over again, I want to read you the poem that Miss Donna had sent to me. It says, Rustling winds awake me from a dream of great heaviness. Encircled by stained glass, darkness fills the room and settles into the hearts of all who enter. Struggling to escape its presence, we raise windows to release the shadow which only intensifies the night air. Swiftly, we close the panes to, to halt its growth. Still, darkness lingers, reaching its gnarly fingers to grasp hearts and engender fear. As I kneel, hands clasped in prayer, seeking, pleading, and crying for the presence of the one and only, a joyful, peaceful old man touches my shoulder, Proclaiming the garment of praise fixes the spirit of heaviness. Slowly, a single voice begins to sing praise. Others join one by one until stained glass shakes from the sound of heavenly voices stepping into praise for a holy, mighty, and exalted Savior and King. And I love this last part. And darkness secedes and heaviness becomes light and light shines through in a world desperate for illumination. Isn't that powerful? And darkness secedes and heaviness becomes light and light shines through in a world that is desperate for illumination. I began talking to you last week about the importance of praise. And as we learn, praise is not just the fast songs and the half an hour worship set that we do at the beginning of service. 
There's actually seven words in the Old Testament, seven Hebrew words for the one word praise in our English. And I went through each one of those uh, last week. The, some of them mean raising your hands, right? Others mean, uh, raise, another one means raising your hands, but as an act of worship before God even acts. It's a prophetic declaration of his goodness before he even acts on your behalf. Another word means to kneel humbly and, so, and actually even means to lay prostrate before the Lord. Another one of the words means to shout, the shout of victory. You can't help but think of Jericho walls coming down, can you? When you think of the shout of victory, the shout of praise before the Lord. Another word, the word halil means to, this is one of my favorite ones, means to dance wildly like a madman before the Lord in celebration and praise. It actually says it means to rave, right? Which means the first rave was a worship set to the Lord. <laughs> Another word means to sing. And it's not just, a, it's not just a, a planned song or written song. It's a song from your innermost being, right? It's an unplanned song. It's a song that just rises up from the inside of you to declare the glory and the beauty of the Lord. Another one of the words means to play instruments and to sing with your voices the worship and the honor and the praises of God. Did you notice something about all of these words? Every one of them is an outward expression. Every one of them happens physically with your body. It's something that is outwardly present. That if, if I were to be praising, if I were to praise, that you all in the room would know that I am praising. It's not something that happens internally. It's something that is expressed outwardly. I wrote this here uh, last week and shared with you. True biblical praise is an outward manifestation, not an emotional response, but an intentional, that's a key word there, an intentional outward expression of adoration and thanksgiving. It's not just emotionalism. It's an intentional outward expression of adoration and praise. Now, and I, I highlight this, this idea of that it's not emotionalism because oftentimes that's what you hear when somebody is, is, is worshiping or expressing outwardly. You'll hear the critics behind them saying, well, that's just being emotional. You are exactly right. <laughs> that praise will uh, enact emotions Absolutely. How could you not be emotional when the living God saved you from destruction? How could you not be emotional when you were uh, going to hell and now you aren't anymore? Praise does enact emotions, but here's the key. It's not an emotional response because praise happens whether you feel it or you don't. Emotionalism, by definition, is to follow your emotions, right? And there are times where you don't feel like praising, right? Look, this is how David says it in the Psalms. He says it this way. He says, why are you downcast, O my soul? Right? David's not feeling it, right? He's downcast. Why are you disquiet or disquieted within me? But then listen to what he says. 
hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. David wasn't feeling it, but it didn't matter whether he was feeling it or not. He was going to praise God because God is worthy of praise, period. He is worthy of praise, and the Bible is very specific on what praise looks like, and it's not just something that happens on the inside. It's something that is expressed outwardly. Amen? Praise does something on the inside of us. Why is praise important? Because in Isaiah 61, chapter 3, it doesn't say that worship, he gives us worship, a garment of worship for the spirit of heaviness. It doesn't say that he gives us a garment of community coming together for a garment of heavy, or for the spirit of heaviness. He doesn't give us a garment of church services for the spirit of heaviness. It says that he gives us the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. How do you fix the spirit of heaviness? Praise. Praise. When you don't feel like it, you praise. When you feel heavy, let me tell you, when you feel heavy, you don't feel like shouting. You don't feel like lifting your hands. You definitely don't feel like dancing. But the Bible tells us that the key to breaking the spirit of heaviness is the garment of praise. It's praise. It's not that all of those other things aren't necessary or needed. Absolutely. But the key to breaking heaviness is the garment of praise. If you have your Bibles, open them up with me to Acts chapter 16. And we'll see a very familiar story here. Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 23. While Paul and Silas were in the city of Philippi, ministering to the people there, they began being followed by this young slave girl. The Bible tells us that this young slave girl had a spirit of divination on the inside of her, that she was possessed by an evil spirit, that she was an ancient fortune teller and palm reader. This young lady began following Paul and Silas around. And listen to what she was declaring. I always thought this was interesting. This young lady who was demon-possessed began saying these words, following Paul, following, Paul and, following Paul and Silas around, declaring this, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. This young slave girl who was demon-possessed is declaring these men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And day in and day out, this young slave girl is following Paul and Silas, making this declaration. Here's what I find most funny about it. Paul begins to be annoyed by this young lady. And so it says that Paul turns around after about, I think it says three days of this happening, of this young girl following him, Paul turns around and he casts the evil spirit out of the young lady. And the evil spirit leaves her and she is set completely free. You would think that would cause celebration, but instead it causes the mob of the city to come together and cause for justice to come to Paul and Silas. Why? Because this young slave girl made them a whole bunch of money through her being able to tell other people their fortune and their future, through this possession of an evil spirit, these people made a bunch of money. And when Paul cast out the devil inside of her, 
they just lost their income. I could say a lot, right? There's so much right there. How many people today profit from the devil inside of them? Hollywood. How much does Hollywood profit from the devil working on the inside of it? I believe there's a Paul and a Silas who are rising up, though, that are going to turn and cast out that thing that is in our nation. Hallelujah. So Paul turns around, he casts out this evil spirit, causes an uproar in the city. The people drag Paul and Silas to the magistrates of the city to have a case, to have a trial. It really wasn't much of a, a real trial because immediately the magistrates order for Paul and Silas to be beaten with rods. So the mob beats these two men of God with rods and with their fists. And then those men, the magistrates then, after they are beaten, they, they take Paul and Silas and they throw them into what the Bible says is the innermost cell of the jail. And so Paul and Silas find themselves now beaten and in the innermost parts of the cell. And that's where we're going to pick up here this morning, starting in verse 23 of Acts. Acts 23, starting in verse, uh, I'm sorry, Acts 16, starting in verse 23. It says, And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the innermost prison and fastened their feet with the stocks. Let's stop here just for a moment and consider the shape that Paul and Silas are in. They have just been severely beaten with rods by a mob that was mad at them for costing them money, which you know what, I, I sort of understand, right? <laughs> the other day, uh, Amber can tell you, every time we drive through a fast food restaurant and I have to pay $50 for my family to eat McDonald's, I, I get why the mob was a little bit upset. I had to pay $3 for a side of bacon the other day. I'm still mad about it. They beat Paul and Silas with rods. Paul and Silas are now bloody, bruised, and they possibly have many broken bones. Then they were thrown into the innermost prison and their hands were shackled, their hands and their feet were shackled. Now this prison that they were thrown into, if you do a study of prisons and jails in this, this time, the Bible times, you begin to understand that these are not like the prisons and jails here in America. They were filthy, dark, damp places. Some of these jails were actually the place where the sewage of the city would go. There was no windows in the innermost part of the jail, so it was disorienting. You didn't know what time of day it was because there was no light. And of course, they wouldn't allow any candles or things like that in the jail. So these men were literally in just complete darkness in this jail. Jails in that time 
were, and what some scholars will tell you, some historians will tell you, that jails in that time were not meant just to keep people captive. They were meant to torture people, to psychologically torture them. So here's Paul and Silas thrown into this condition, into this jail, hands and feet shackled. They, they, would, they said too, scholars say, that the shackles, they wouldn't, they wouldn't keep them loose. They would make them tight and they'd be heavy as another way of torture, the pain from the shackles. Not only that, they had just been beaten by a mob. So there was still blood trickling out of their body. The scabs had not yet healed over from the beating that they had just taken. But the Bible tells us that while they were in this condition, at midnight, it says that Paul and Silas began praying and praising God with song. Was that emotionalism? <laughs> Do you think they were feeling it in that moment? Many people in that, if we were in that kind of situation, our reaction would be to begin questioning the faithfulness of God. God, why did you not protect me? Paul had a word, a dream from the Lord to go to Philippi. He was there on a word from the Lord. And when he got there, what he got in return was beaten and thrown into the innermost cell. Most people would begin questioning the faithfulness of God, but they begin singing. Most people would be groaning and licking their wounds from the beating they just took, but they began lifting their voice and honoring God. Their response was not an emotion. Their response was gratitude and honor to the God who is worthy. Hands, feet, hands and feet bound with chains, Paul and Silas began praying and singing praises to Yahweh. There's something that happens supernaturally when you are standing in prison, but, your, but the faith in your innermost being begins to make its way out of you through an expression of praise. There is something about the shout of victory before the walls come down that moves the heart of God. When I was studying this passage, I couldn't help but remember a scene just a couple years ago. This thing that happened just a couple years ago, right here in Elwood. Many of you know this story, but there was a pastor named Ben Capshaw, who's a good friend of Amber and I's, who was in a tragic car accident. He was driving down the road and something happened and he ended up having a head-on collision with a semi-truck. He died instantly. He has a wife named Amanda and he has two young boys. And I remember just the tragedy of the moment. And, and it wasn't just tragic for the family, although obviously they paid the heaviest price but Ben was, was a special pastor because he was so deeply influential in the community of Elwood. 
If you went into the city of Elwood and mentioned the name Ben Capshaw, 99% of the time the person would know exactly who they're talking about because either they had heard him speak somewhere or he had ministered to their family directly or maybe to a family member or a friend. Everybody knew who Pastor Ben Capshaw is or who he was. So not only now that he had passed away, not only did this tragic accident affect the whole family, but the entire community was in mourning. You felt the weight of his death in the entire community. Some of us knew something had to be done. In fact, so we, we started to uh, plan a prayer vigil for the community. And just to, just to again, just um, to stress the fact of his importance in the community, as we were planning this prayer vigil, the mayor of the city was planning one as well. We eventually learned what we, that we were both planning this, and so we ended up just merging the two together. But about a week or so, not quite a week after the accident, we all gathered together. We put the word out. We all gathered together at Pastor Ben's church there in Fairmount, Central Westland Church. We all gathered there. And there were, I don't know the number, but there was a, just a massive amount of people that came out from the community and of course, throughout the whole service, we had different people lined up. We prayed specifically for the family, for Amanda and the boys, Noah and Isaac. We prayed for them. We prayed for the community as a whole. We prayed for the church. And the prayers were incredible. They were, they were awesome. But that's not what I remember the most. After we had this prayer time, we had a time of praise and worship. As we begin singing praise and worship, we actually, and Paul had no idea that I was going to talk about this this morning, and I didn't even tell him that I was after I saw the song list this morning, but the song that we sang was Waymaker. Here, this influential pastor had just tragically been killed, and the entire city is feeling the weight of it. But in the middle of the city, with the city there with us, we begin declaring, Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. Even when I don't see it, you're working. And as we begin singing, the atmosphere of the entire place began to shift. It went from feeling hopeless to all of a sudden there was this untangible, or there was this tangible hope that was in the atmosphere. People all across the crowd had their hands lifted in the air seeing Waymaker, Miracle Worker. And as powerful as that was, the most powerful thing of the entire night and the image that is ingrained in my mind and will be forever was leading the entire community and praise at the very front of the crowd was Amanda, his wife, and his two young boys who had their hands stretched out in the air, declaring, you're the way maker, the miracle worker. You're the promise keeper. You're the light in my darkness. That is who you are. Tears streaming down their face. 
not shaking their fist at God, but instead had their hands up in surrender, declaring the beauty and the splendor and the magnitude of the God that they serve. In that, in that moment, I saw Isaiah chapter 61, verse 3, come to life. Praise fixes the spirit of heaviness. It wasn't just a well-placed scripture. It was reality. As I watched them praise, as I watched the family praise, and as the community began to join them, the entire atmosphere shifted. And what was once heavy was now filled with the oil of gladness. The oil of joy. And even though there was deep sadness and deep mourning and deep hurt that still had to be walked through, still had to be dealt with, in the middle of their prison, in the inner cell where it is as dark as it could possibly be, there emerged voices of praise and adoration to God. And it shifted the entire place. Praise fixes the spirit of heaviness. It's not emotionalism. It's declaring his goodness because he is worthy. And then watching the Lord come in and lift the spirit of heaviness and lay on your shoulders the garment of praise. I want to say this too. In that moment, in that tragic situation, there was no answer to the why question that could be given that would have satisfied or healed the hurt on the inside of them. As a pastor, I know what it's like to have to sit across from people who are in tragedy, and there's always this burden to try to explain almost try to come to God's defense in those situations. But I've learned over the years that there is no answer that fixes that. There is no, no uh, even theological answer that I could give that would heal that wounded heart. There's no, there's no perfect scripture verse, even the one that is mostly give. Listen, God works all things for the good of those who trust in him, as absolutely true as that is, in that moment, that doesn't heal the brokenness. Anybody who has experienced pain and tragedy in their life knows what I'm saying. You know the truth. You know that eventually God is going to turn it for good, but in that moment, it doesn't heal the hurt that's on the inside of you. But guess what? Praise does. Praise does that the pain that's on the inside of you, the heaviness, there is one cure in that moment, and it's lifting your hands. It's singing with all of your might, the glory and the goodness of the Father in the midst of the most tragic situation. And watch how God pulls the heaviness off and replaces it with the spirit, with the garment of praise. Thank you, Jesus. In verse 25, we, can, we go on there and we see Paul and Silas. Let's, let's go ahead and just read it. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners 
were listening to them. Catch that. They begin singing praises to God, Paul and Silas. And the prisoners, the Bible says, begin to listen to what was happening. Imagine the bewilderment of these prisoners. In these ancient prisons, they weren't just individual cells. A lot of times there was multiple people all in the same room together, multiple prisoners. So as Paul and Silas, who are just been beaten, have been shackled, begin singing praises to God, imagine the confusion that would have, this would have caused to the prisoners that were in the same exact situation they were in. They were in the pit with Paul and Silas, hungry, bruised, broken. Some probably had been there for a long while. I imagine there wasn't a whole lot of singing going on in the prison. I doubt very seriously that the prisoners had grown accustomed to worship and joy in the prison. So here's the deal with praise. Sometimes you may be the only one in the room. You may be the only one in the room who is expressing praise to God, but sometimes you have to be the first. You may be the only one, but sometimes somebody has to step up and be the first. Your decision to praise, even if it's all by yourself, can completely change the atmosphere of the room. As Paul and Silas begin singing, the Bible tells us that the prisoners begin listening. And I can imagine that the entire atmosphere of that prison shifted when Paul and Silas began praising the Lord. I, whenever I think of this, I can't help but think of Mary. After Lazarus had been raised from the dead, the Bible tells us that they were all dining at Mary and Martha's house. And the Bible says that Mary comes in with a, with a gallon, um, uh, no, I'm sorry, a pound of costly, expensive perfume. And she walks over to Jesus and she pours the entire pound of perfume, the costly, expensive perfume, onto Jesus' feet and begins wiping his feet with her hair. And this is my favorite part about that story. is this one little sentence that says, the fragrance of the perfume filled the entire house. That your praise the fragrance of your praise changes the atmosphere. It changes the place around you. That it, it causes the spirit of heaviness to lift and the oil of joy to come in. The fragrance of her worship filled the entire house that they were in. Of course, in this story, there was one there who wasn't happy about it, wasn't there? Judas came up to them and of course he had all these excuses as to why this was a waste. I want to say this, there's always going to be Judases in the room. You may be the first praiser, you may be the one who goes first, but there's always going to be one in the room who says this is too extravagant. This is too much. This is a distraction. This is unnecessary. 
Judas came up to Mary or to the, to Jesus, and he said, "This is this is just a waste. This costly perfume could have been sold, and the money could have been distributed and used for the poor." There's always an excuse as to why it's too much. But the excuse always hides the, hides the inner interior reason as to why Judas doesn't want the perfume to go on Jesus' feet. Because Judas did not care. The Bible even tells us flat out, Judas did not care about the money going to the poor. The Bible tells us that the reason he cared was because he was selfish and wanted the money for himself. And there's always going to be a Judas in the room with an excuse as to why it is too extravagant. But you want to let me, want me to let you in on a little secret? That is not why Judas is uncomfortable. He's uncomfortable because your praise demands something from him. Your praise takes away his excuse, his or her excuse to not praise the Lord. And it makes Judas uncomfortable that there would be such an extravagant display of worship because that means that there is an extravagant display of worship that is now required of me. But I want to tell you something. Jesus will say to the Judas what he said to Mary's Judas. Leave her alone. Leave her alone. Let her praise with extravagance because that is what is in her heart. So I want to release those of you here this morning who have that stirring on the inside of them, this garment of praise stirring on the inside of them, this something that needs to be released. Don't be held back by the Judas in the room. Don't be held back by the Judas in the room because the Lord is giving you permission to praise with extravagance. And he will come to your defense. Worship with extravagance because he is worthy of the worship. And I promise you, when you begin to let out that praise and that worship, it's going to change the entire climate of the room. Just one of you. Just one person can change the entire atmosphere by letting out of you what is in you and be in expressing your gratitude and worship to him. The garment of praise fixes the spirit of heaviness. Just like in the dream, when we began to praise the heaviness left, the atmosphere changed. Just like with Paul and Silas, when they begin to sing, the entire atmosphere of the jail begin to change. Just like with Ben's memorial prayer vigil service, when we begin to praise, the entire atmosphere begin to shift. Your worship and your praise is powerful. The fragrance fills the entire house. It fills the entire house. Verse 26, it tells us the effect of their praise. It says, suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loose. Through praise, they were set completely free. Through praise, they were set completely free. But I want to point something very specific out to you in this scripture. It doesn't say 
that when they began to praise, that their chains fell off and the doors opened. It says that when they began to praise, the foundations of the jail began to shake and the shaking caused the doors to open and their chains to fall off. They were set free through the shaking of the foundation. And here's, here's the deal. Praise doesn't just fix the external problems. Praise doesn't give you supernatural joy for a moment. Praise shakes the very root and core of the heaviness. He's not looking to just soothe over the symptoms. He's going to the root of the problem that, the, that praise fixing heaviness doesn't just set you free from the external problem. It finds the root of the problem and it shakes it until nothing is left that can be shaken. You are set free, not just uh, superficially, but through praise, he goes to the root of the problem. And through dealing with the root, shaking everything that can be shaken, you come out on the other side solid and free. Solid and free. And listen, sometimes the shaking can be a little frightening. Sometimes the shaking can feel a little bit violent. Sometimes it's not very fun and, and, and other people around you may feel the effects of the shaking and, and, it, and sometimes you have to lose things in the shaking that you maybe were, had grown accustomed to or maybe you had had some sort of, of um, appeal to. Sometimes when he shakes those foundations, he looses things that are unhealthy for you that you didn't want to get rid of. But through praise, he shakes the foundations and everything that can be shaken is shaken and loosed off of you, and you are set free, not superficially, not externally, but wholly free, wholly free. Praise fixes the spirit of heaviness. Let's stand together this morning. If you would, just lift your hands with me there this morning. Let's say this prayer together. While well, I'll say it, you, you receive it. Father, we pray that today, everything that can be shaken would be shaken. Father, that you would shake everything that can be shaken. God, that you would get to the root of our heaviness and set us free, not just superficially, but wholly free in the name of Jesus. Father, I just pray for those in the room here this morning that have felt this unction to praise, have felt this thing burning on the inside of them, but just have felt held back in their, in their worship and their praise. God, I pray today that those chains would be taken off of them. And Father, they would be set free to worship and honor and praise you as, 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 they, as they feel led to uh, on a Sunday morning, Jesus. God, that they would just be set free to worship and honor you and to praise you with everything that they have on the inside of them. God, I pray for the courage to step out in praise in this church.
I pray for the boldness to come over those in this building to be able to step out and praise in an adoration. Father, though we have one word for praise, I pray that all seven of the ways that you describe praise in the Bible would be manifested in this church in the name of Jesus. That the garment of praise would be placed upon this, this body of people. And that the spirit of heaviness would have no place in our hearts or in our congregation in the name of Jesus. God, release the oil of joy. Pour out the oil of joy on this congregation in the name of Jesus. God, I pray that this room would be filled with laughter and joy and lightness. God, that those would be able to find an oasis in this room when they come in on a Sunday morning. They would find a well of water to drink from, a spring flowing out of them. And Father, I, you know what? I pray not even just in this building, but God, the spring that you have given us. The word tells us that the Holy Spirit in us is like a well, like a river flowing on the inside of us. God, I pray that that river would flow on the inside of those here this morning and that the oil of joy would not be just poured out in this room, but would be poured out on your people. The church is not a building. The church is a people. We are the sanctuary of the Most High God. You dwell in us. So, Father, I pray that your oil of joy would be poured out on every single believer in this room this morning. Everyone who hosts you on the inside of them would experience the oil of joy and the garment of praise. That wherever they go, whether they're here, whether they're in the supermarket, whether they're in their homes, God, whether they're at the school, God, wherever they are, Father, that they would experience the garment of praise on the inside of them. God, that your praise would never leave our lips, but we would continually offer up the offering of worship and praise. Fill us with your joy. Clothe us in praise. And Father, we declare that even when we don't feel it, we will praise anyway. Even when my soul is downcast and I don't feel like it, your worthiness supersedes my emotions. And I will praise. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more messages like this or information about our church, please visit harmonychurchfamily.org.